Any of you just finished third grade? Anybody? Anybody going into third grade? Got some, got some kids going into third grade. Okay, I was, I was probably in second or third grade. <clears throat> and I took something to school for show and tell. Have any of you ever taken something to school for show and tell? Yeah? Do you always take something of your own, or do you sometimes take something that is actually somebody else's? Go ahead. Took pictures. Has anybody ever taken something that was one of your, maybe your, maybe your mom or dad's, or maybe your brother or sister's? Anybody done that? I think I see a hand back there. Well, when I, when I was going to school, I got permission from my older sister to take something really neat of hers to school. It was an oil lamp, <clears throat> the kind of lamp that they would have used at the time that Jesus was walking around on the earth when Peter and Paul and John were still alive, they had lamps. And those lamps, they didn't have electricity, so you know what they did? How they made light? Does anybody know? Any of you kids know? Yeah, Judah. You put oil in them, that's right. And do you know what they were made of? You think they were made of plastic? No, that's right, no. Confident. No idea what I asked, but. You're right. They were not made of plastic. They didn't have plastic back then. They could be made of a couple of different things, but one common thing was clay. Right? Now, it just so happens that somebody here is an expert at working with clay and making beautiful things out of Clay, and this was a very beautiful little clay lamp. It had a wick that came out the top, and oil could go in the, in, in the inside, and it had never been used. It was mostly decorative, because we have light switches, right? So we don't, we don't normally light fires in our rooms to give ourselves light anymore. We use light bulbs. But... It used to be that if you wanted light after it got dark, you had to start a fire. You had to light something on fire. And so you'd put oil in the lamp, <clears throat> and you would trim the wick, and you would light it, and it would be like a little candle. And it would burn, and the oil would come up the wick, and it would give light to the room. And so I took this neat Thing. I, was, I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was really cool, finding out that's how you used to get light. You would burn the oil in the lamp, and then you would have light. And I took it to school for show and tell, and I showed everybody this clay lamp. And I was very careful with it. 
And I was careful because it was fragile and because it wasn't mine. Right? When I got home from school, I didn't have anything else in my backpack. My backpack was empty. That was pretty common probably for me. I don't <laughs> and I was, in a, I was in a great mood. It was a beautiful summer day, or probably late spring, I guess. Felt like more like summer than the last few days it felt like. And I had a little bit of what we call sound judgment. But I was not full of sound judgment. And I was not what you would call a sober boy. And so even though I knew it wasn't really a good idea, <clears throat> I couldn't think of any reason not to take my backpack and celebrate life by throwing it up in the air as high as I could. And I did, over and over and over, until I remembered that I had a fragile clay lamp in my backpack. And do you know what was left of that beautiful clay lamp that wasn't mine? Little bits of dust. And that was it. It was not cracked. There was no thought of gluing it back together. It was obliterated. There wasn't, you couldn't even tell what shape it might have been in, ever. Little tiny, tiny pieces was all that was left. Now, our sermon this morning is on being of sound judgment and sober sober of spirit or sober-minded. And so if you keep in mind what a second grade or third grade, maybe, boy is like, and you think about the consequences of not being of sound judgment, not being of sober spirit. For me, when I was that age, you'll have a little hint of what we're talking about in our passage today. So let's stand and read God's word from 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So then in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We live at the end of all things. We live at the end of all things. The end of all things is near. If it was near then, it is nearer now. Right? Now some may object and say, Peter must have been wrong. It must not have been very near. Or you can try to uh, adjust things around so that it's talking specifically a, a prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem. But it doesn't matter where you go in the New Testament. The New Testament writers are clear in saying the last times have come. We are living in the last days. After Jesus Christ came and died and was buried, rose again and then went up into heaven, that began the end of times, the last days. If the people that Peter is writing to had reason to be sober and to be of sound judgment, then so do we. Much has happened in the intervening 2,000 years. A lot has happened since then. Most of what has happened is the fulfillment of what God is waiting for. The gospel has gone forth into all the earth. And God has used many, many means to do that. Persecution has been one of the primary means, one of the primary ways that God has caused the gospel message to be spread and his church to be established, his kingdom to be established throughout all the earth in every tribe and tongue and nation has been when Christians are persecuted. When Christianity itself is under attack, God in his wisdom and in his mercy has 
made it so that it's like when you try to put pressure on an empty water bottle. Eventually, the cap comes flying off, right? And all the air comes out, boom. This is what happens when the church is crushed. It's crushed. But what makes it the church? What gave it its shape? The air, the air gets out. The people spread, and with them goes the power of the gospel. Today, Christianity is under direct attack in our culture. And so, we have reason to be sober. We have reason to be sober. We ought to be of sound judgment. When you go back to Matthew 25... There's a parable of the virgins. In the parable of the virgins, there's a story of ten virgins, five of whom are wise and five of whom are foolish. Five of them buy oil for their lamps. And they are prepared for the wait. Five of them are unprepared. They're not of sound judgment. They did not think ahead. They did not prepare. And so, at the end, when... It's time for the wedding, when it's time for the feast, when it's time for them to go in, five of them have had to leave and go buy oil and they miss it. The five that were prepared enter into the celebration. The five that had gone off, that were not prepared, that had not been of sober judgment, that were not prepared when the end came. They were not let into the wedding feast. They were cast out into the night where elsewhere it is described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot at stake for being of sober spirit, of being of sound judgment, recognizing that the end of all things is near. Just the statement that the end of all things is near is meant to cause you to go, whoa, what do I need to do to be ready for it? And you know what comes immediately after the parable in Matthew 25? 
It's funny the parallel that it has with our passage. Immediately after the description of the virgins, some of whom were not ready, some of whom were ready, is the parable of the talents. It's almost as though Peter is surfing off of what was written in Matthew. (laughs) He's saying, be ready. And then he says, and by the way, use your talents appropriately. And that's exactly the order that we see things in Matthew 25. The parable of the talents is where we're warned not to be lazy with the gifts we've been given, but to use them for the kingdom. Now, soberness and sound judgment, uh, we need to understand what that means, right? It's easy to say, okay, I'm ready to be I'm ready to be sober. I'm, I'm ready to be of sound judgment. Tell me what to do, though. What, what does that look like? Before we, before we try to define those too closely, let's just look and see what the result of them is. You'd think, well, it's being prepared, right? But what does the passage say? the purpose of sound judgment and a sober spirit are. It says, for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment and soberness of spirit lead to prayer. Now, the reason I give that first is because what I want you to see is There is an easy test for whether or not, even if you don't understand fully exactly what it means to be sober, what it exactly means to be of sound judgment, if your life isn't led into prayer, you know you're missing those things, right? Because those things lead directly to prayer. Why? Why does sound judgment lead to prayer? Well, think about sound judgment. Sound judgment means seeing the world accurately, right? Properly understanding what is going on and what's not going on. And so the the first statement that the end of all things is near, Just accepting that and living as though that is true is the start of sound judgment in this case. Living as though the end is a long time from now and we don't have to worry about it, that's the opposite of sound judgment, right? But if you accurately see what is going on, And you think, okay, yeah, the pastor just got done saying Christianity is under attack. I see that. I see the places where God's truth about morality is under attack. I see the places where it is rejected and where persecution is coming specifically for those who call the world to righteous living. 
instead of to living according to the desires of and the lusts of the flesh. Right? I can see that. Well, the moment that you begin to see, oh yeah, the end is near. The judgment is coming. The moment that you begin to see, oh yeah, there's persecution coming. Oh yeah, Christianity is under attack. Oh yeah, there is a lack of true doctrine in many, many churches today. Oh yeah, there are heresies and false teachers. Oh yeah, what do you do? You look at the world with accurate eyes wide open. You look at the world with sound judgment. And what? You're faced with a choice. And your choices are basically get super depressed or try to forget it or pray. You can either get super depressed because you don't trust God and just be like, oh no. Oh, it's awful. There's nothing that can be done. And that's believing Satan's lie, right? Because that sort of depression is simply a rejection of the gospel message, that there is hope, that he is ruling all things from heaven. And that he will come again and judge the living and the dead. That is the hope of the Christian. And so to see the work that remains yet for him to do, and then to get depressed about it, is to say, oh, he can't do it. I guess I'm just going to have to be sad. Nothing else to do. Or you can decide you're going to forget it. There are a lot of ways that we can forget it, right? One of the time-honored ways to forget is to get drunk, right? To be the opposite of sober. To lose your senses. You can lose your senses in alcohol very easily. It has a very quick, powerful effect capable of causing you to be, to, to, to lose control of your faculties. There are more powerful drugs than alcohol, but few as widely available and as effective at helping us to forget so that we don't have to be of sound judgment, so that we don't have to think about the realities of what we've seen, so we don't have to face the mess that we have made or that we live in, whether we made it or not.
Now, of course, there are many ways of us not being sober, right? Excuse me. Many ways of us lacking sobriety. Of course, chemical. Chemicals like alcohol or various other drugs will do the job quite well. But how many of you in this room are are under 21? Go ahead, raise your hand if you're under 21. All you kids have to raise your hands. You're not 21 yet. Okay. It can be pretty hard to get your hands on the necessary chemicals to make you forget. You're not allowed to drink alcohol, are you? Right? No wine or whiskey for you. Now, does that mean that you're always of sound judgment and sober spirit? You're always in complete control of yourselves? No. It's very, very easy, even without any drugs or any alcohol, to forget. To forget what it looks like to be sober. To let go of sobriety and to simply run after fun. All you have to do is distract yourself. And there's a million ways of distracting yourself. Books are a great way of distracting yourself so that you don't have to think. So are movies. So are games. Computer games in particular. Running after money is a great way to distract yourself. Many people have started that before they were 18, before they could vote, before they could drink. They started running after money. And then at 55, they begin to wonder what it's all for and what it's all about. And they need some other distraction. They begin to realize they're getting old even though they've got all the money they want. The end of all things is nearer for them. And they don't want to face it. And so they find something else, something new, something better at distracting them, helping them to forget. The third option, of course, when you begin to see the world as it it truly is, is to pray. Right? So on the one hand, there's the little boy in What About Bob? What does it matter? I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. That's the getting depressed. He's seeing the world accurately. This is true. We are all going to die. 
right? And so he gets depressed. Or there is running after any sort of distraction that you can think of, or there is turning to God in prayer. Because sound judgment sees the need for prayer at all times. The first time you have a a child, you realize, oh boy, I better pray. Right? I better pray. The first time you get married, you think, I better pray. The first time you see your own weakness, you realize, oh, there's nothing to do but pray. I've got to pray. The first time you see children being harmed, hurt by others, you realize, got to pray. Pray, pray. You go back into the Gospels and you read straight through. You just read the book of Matthew, for example. And do you know what you see Jesus doing? An awful lot of that's easy for us to forget. We remember the miracles. We remember him feeding the 5,000. We remember a lot of the stories of his interactions with others. But what does he do over and over and over again? Yes. He teaches. That's interaction with others. But you know what he does before and after he teaches? Yes. He prays. That's right. He prays. Jesus is of sound judgment, wouldn't you say? And you know what it leads him to? Prayer. He's in charge of everything. He holds the universe together without him, as it says in Colossians, everything flies apart and is no more. And he prays. He prays. He is sober-minded. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was Eeyore, does it? Was Jesus like Eeyore? No, Jesus was not like Eeyore. As a matter of fact, the first miracle that Jesus did was at a party, a wedding celebration. And lest we take this soberness command to mean that we're never allowed to have alcohol, that first miracle was actually him making water turn into wine. He's even accused of coming partying 
He came eating and drinking, and, and the Pharisees were like, what's wrong with him? Because the Pharisees were a lot more like Eeyore. And yet, was Jesus lacking any sober-mindedness? No. It doesn't mean not having joy. Being sober-minded means having true and proper joy, rather than just the amusement or distractions or the pleasures of this life. And only once you are sober do you see the need for the rest of these instructions that we've been given here, right? Be of sound judgment and sober-minded for the purpose of prayer, and then what? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. You realize the necessity of love the moment that you judge with sober judgment. You realize that we're always sinning, we're always lying, we're always hurting each other, we're always offending each other intentionally and unintentionally. And what do you need? We need love. We need it. And so we pray. We pray for it and then we devote ourselves. We keep fervent in our love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And then we serve one another hospitably. We are hospitable to one another, and not just hospitable to one another, but that most impossible of commands that we are hospitable and we don't complain about it. There are many people who are fantastic at being hospitable and complaining about it. There are very few that are fantastic at being hospitable and don't complain about it. And then he goes in and he, what does he say? Has each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Only once you're sober do you realize, oh, we've been given these gifts. We've been given work to do. We've been given a community of faith, a family, a church, that we are to be in fellowship with. We are to be serving one another. We are to be loving one another. We are to be hospitable to one another. We've been given gifts so that they can be used for the service of one another, whatever your gift is, what are you supposed to use it for? Serving one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so these gifts, when you have sound judgment, when you, when you judge with sober judgment... You look at what God has given you, and you realize, I have been given gifts. And they have been given to me for a purpose. And that is that I might glorify God, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
How? Serving his people. I've been given these gifts not because I'm awesome, but because God is gracious. Not because I deserved to have gifts, but because God decided to give me gifts even though I didn't deserve them. That's sober judgment. That's sound judgment. Looking at yourself and being like, how come I didn't get this gift and that gift and the other gift? Here's an idea. How about you use the gifts that God has given you without complaint in service of his people? Because remember what I said about Matthew 25, what comes next? The parable of the talents. What happens to the slave who does not use his talent for the master? Depart from me, you wicked servant. Imagine being entrusted with a precious gift. Like, you know, an oil lamp, for example. It's yours to take care of. It's yours to use appropriately. And instead of being sober... You just get sillier and sillier, more careless and more careless, more carefree and more carefree until what happens? You don't even have the gift anymore. It's broken, lost, destroyed. Many people have destroyed their good minds that they have been given. Gifts from God that they were to steward and to use in service to him. He was gracious. And they destroyed their brains. Sure, with chemicals. Oftentimes with images. Or imagine being given a beautiful five-course meal. If you've ever seen Babette's Feast, you may remember that it ends with a wonderful meal. Wonderful meal. And it's a precious, precious gift. And what do you do at the feast? You forget to eat the food because you got too drunk. Or to lack any sound judgment whatsoever, instead of eating it, you decide to have a food fight with it. This is the way that, these are the options before us, right? The, The way that we have been given precious gifts And they're to be used according to God's commands. And we decide 
this sound judgment requires me to be too sober. It's going to be too much time in prayer. I'd rather just be silly. Speaking, we've been given God's words. So we better be using them, right? We think about our gifts this way. It helps make us sober. Have you been given gifts by God? Absolutely. Will you use your gifts intentionally? Or will you squander them? Those are the only choices. You will use it intentionally or you will squander it. To use our gifts intentionally brings God glory through Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because we have put our faith in him and we're called by his name. So in other words, when those gifts that God has given us are demonstrated to one another through our relationships and our service to one another, to the watching world, and everybody sees, oh, this is what a Christian is like, they may call you names, they may call you a Puritan, they may call you an old fuddy-duddy, they may act like, you're Eeyore and don't know how to have a good time because you refuse to join them in their running into every wickedness under the sun. But it is his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that we are serving in. And so when you see there, that we are serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's saying, he's the king of the kingdom that we are in. And so when God supplies you strength, when God gives you sober judgment, when you turn to him in prayer, when you use your gifts according to his commands and strengthen them and make a return on his investment with them, the one whose name you bear, Christian, meaning little Christ, Christiani, little follower of Jesus, he's the one who's glorified when you do that. Not you. Not you. Him. Why? Because he's the one who gave you the strength to serve. Do you want to see Christ glorified? Live this way. Live with sound judgment. Be of sober spirit. Serve with all the gifts that God has given you. He didn't pray and sweat blood 
so that you could be a goof-off. He prayed and sweated blood and went to the cross, not so that you could have a fun time. Not so that you could eat what you want to eat when you want to eat it. Some of us are no better than my son Peter, who cannot wait one second without throwing a fit for the food that he wants when he wants it. Not so that you could feel good. Not so that you could sit here in a service, bored to tears, just waiting so that you could go play and have fun with your friends. That is to be not of sound judgment. Do you think God gave you kids a church for a reason? Was it so that you would be bored? No. It's so that you would listen and learn. It's not so that you could come and have fun with your friends. It was to give you a family in Jesus Christ. This is about much more than having some friends. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not here to see how you can have a good time no matter what anybody else is doing. You're here with gifts in order to serve one another. This is how we glorify Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your kindness and mercy to us demonstrate to us our great need of salvation, yes, of growth, Father, in our judgment and in sober-mindedness. Father, may our joy be made full in Christ Jesus. May our rejoicing be far more sweet and powerful than any wine. Father, may our mourning be as those who have true hope, remembering that the end is near and serving one another with joy and gladness of heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.